church. Man, you guys look good. It is so good to see you. I cannot even say it's so good to see you. You can take a seat. I'm so grateful to be here. My name is Doug Weckenman, and if I haven't met you, I pastor our location in Austin, Texas. And if I, uh, if I could just quote Michael Scott and say, you guys, if God's not real, then what are all these churches for? And who is Jesus's dad? Boom. Apologetics 101. That is MSQ. Michael Scott, Michael Scott quote number one. We're not even 30 seconds in, Sean. Be afraid. Be afraid. Oh. Oh, I'm excited. This is your fruit. This is your fruit. Just know that. Oh, guys, I love, I'm so grateful. Every time I get to be here with our family and talk about Jesus and his kingdom, I don't take it lightly. I am so grateful for our imperfect family that I feel like I fit right into. I'm so grateful that we can look through some cameras and say hello to thousands of people in our family, all because John Clark had the guys from YouTube come here and film all of these church services. Michael Scott quote number two. There we go. Oh, it's on. What are we, in week eight of kingdom culture? Are we really? Week eight of kingdom culture. So let me just remind you that Jesus came to make an invisible God visible. And in the same way, the church is here to make an invisible kingdom visible through what we say and what we do. That's our culture, a specific way of walking and talking. And when we walk and talk with the kingdom of heaven in mind, we create a kingdom culture on earth. And right now that is so important because honestly, you guys, uh, this is so true. It's always been true. It's just never been more clear. There is one thing that our world needs. It is not a mere principle. It is a person. We do not need more speculation or debate. We need the real Jesus, not religious Jesus. Not American Jesus, not stained glass Jesus, not conservative or liberal Jesus, not homeboy or hippie Jesus, not street corner soapbox Turner burn Jesus, not the soft spoken, pale, frail, religious tone Jesus holding a lamb with a busted leg. Not that like we need the real Jesus because guys, he was fully God, but he was fully human, complete with a personality that you would have loved. You would have loved this Jesus. He was born as a baby in a cave, as a fugitive during a genocide. He was an outlaw who operated behind enemy lines during his ministry, who had nowhere to to lie his head at night. He was the hunted one who became the hunter of all evil, right? He, He was fierce, but he was incredibly humble. He was disruptive, but he was so, so kind and loved people and enjoyed life and celebrated and had a a sense of humor. Like God told jokes. How crazy is that, right? And he said things that shocked and floored the leaders of the day. He told stories that caused crowds to collectively gasp and suck air. He called out the Pharisees. He told storms to stop being storms, and the storms went, okay, He told dead little girls to stop being dead. He made demons shudder and tremble. Darkness and evil never argued with him. He made claims to be the son of God that got him arrested. And then he voluntarily walked straight into his crucifixion. You guys, this is the real Jesus. And I'm not sure who I'm talking to right now, but loving God will never be a problem for you when you know the real Jesus. And repping kingdom culture will never be hard for you when you know the king. 
And if the king is the one who chooses the culture of his kingdom, and if language creates culture, then I want to give you some kingdom language today and call this message a statement that is crucial to kingdom culture. It is a question that should be a critical part of every Christian's vocabulary. It is a mindset that will change everything about your life and your heart. And it's this right here. Can you believe we get to do this? Can you believe we get to do this? That's a statement that means the world to the people sitting in this room right now. And we're so excited, church, to share it with everybody today. So God, we are so grateful that we get to do this. God, that we get heaven forever. This is crazy. We don't take it lightly. Today, we remind ourselves of that. And not just what's waiting for us in eternity one day, but the, the abundant life that you call us to right here and right now, God. Thank you that we get to build your church. Jesus, would you be glorified? Would your name be made famous through Red Rocks Church? We love you and we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and everybody said. Amen. Amen. All right, be honest. Are you the kind who easily backs down from a challenge? Or are you the brave, the daring, the easily susceptible to peer pressure type? The older I get, I'm like, yeah, those are really the two options. You guys, I used to, I never used to enjoy peer pressure until Ronnie talked me into it. <laughs> okay. Here's, here's what's true about me. I know, I make myself laugh with those. Yeah, my bar's down here, so thank you. Um, okay, so when a challenge presents itself, and I, I pray that now that I'm like 30, and now that I'm a, a husband, a dad, and a pastor, also biblically in that order, wow, look at God. I'm like, okay, hopefully I'm getting better, but honestly, all somebody has to do is say, oh, you know who won't do that is Doug. Yeah, it's way too dangerous. That's way too risky. If somebody in the room says, yeah, Doug won't do that, and then somebody else just starts counting down, that's double trouble. I'm like, what is this power that has come over me all of a sudden? And that brings me to the Carolina Reaper Pepper Chip Challenge. Have you heard of this? It's basically the hottest chip in the world, and you just see if you can eat it and survive. And it caught the world of daredevils needing to prove themselves by storm back in 2017. And we actually had one of these in a young adult staff meeting three years ago. Do you remember this? Connor, do you remember what you said to me in that staff meeting? You probably don't even remember, but it's part of my testimony. <laughs> you said, well, I'm not sure who's going to eat it, but I know who's not going to eat it. Doug. And you knew, you knew exactly what you were doing. Why are you the way that you are? I hate so much about the person that you choose to be. I don't really, that's a Michael Scott quote in number three, in case you're counting. <laughs> Connor, I love you, he knows that. But I'm like, okay, so you said that, and then it shut me down, it got me quiet, and internally I'm thinking, oh, excuse me, but I get double jalapenos on my sweet onion chicken teriyaki sandwiches at Subway, so yeah, I'm like not afraid of anything. Give me that chip, like challenge accepted, right? So I take this box, and it, there's one chip in this box, and it's packaged uh, because, like, for safety reasons. That's how hot this chip is. And so I'm opening it, and I'm just reading. All I'm doing is reading the label right now. Uh, call 911 if you go into cardiac arrest or stop breathing upon eating this chip. 
Be warned, the reaper shows no mercy. H-E double hockey sticks got nothing on this chip. It's marketing peer pressure, once again. Right? So I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, it's just hype. They're just, da- like, they're challenging all the daredevils will challenge accepted. I'm like, well, my God has conquered H-E double hockey sticks. Excuse me, Reaper Pepper, uh, but the Reaper shudders at the very sound of the name of Jesus Christ, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so I took a bite of this chip, and you guys, I will never take Philippians 4.13 out of context again for the rest of my life, because this thing took me down. Thank you, God, I only bit off half of this chip. And if you think I'm exaggerating right now, you need to go YouTube Shaquille O'Neal on uh, on ESPN taking a small bite of this chip. If you're watching online, do it after service. Don't do it right now. Like this is, this ruined the rest of my day and my wife can vouch for this the whole night. I'm in bed in the fetal position, shaking and sweating, actually lost like five pounds. It was actually a great cleanse. But let me recommend a juice fast and a sauna Not the Carolina Reaper Pepper chip. So Connor, you can find somebody else to eat that because I know you won't. (laughs) My, how the turntables. Oh, that's number four. Here we go. Hey, I like challenges. What can I say? I like things that test me. I like to rise to the occasion. But let me be very, very clear. I do not like anything about the challenge that is about to present itself in the text in Genesis chapter 22 that we are about to read. If I can just be really authentic, it's one of our pillars, so let me be honest. I actually hate everything about the story that we are about to read. This is a father-son dilemma and debacle that's got more dysfunction than Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. And if you grew up in church or not, you know the story that we're about to read. So here we go, Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son that you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So early the next morning, it just so casually goes into verse three. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And so I'm like, hey, sorry, pause. But is anybody else frustrated? This is the Bible with what we've just read. God is saying, Abraham, go and sacrifice your son on a mountain. We're two and a half verses in, and already I'm trying to think of what I would say to my wife if I'm Abraham. So me and Will are out in the driveway loading up the Chevy Traverse, and Sam walks out and goes, oh, babe, what are you guys doing? Oh, you know, just camping, probably fishing and hike a mountain, maybe make a fire, roast some s'mores, I'll sacrifice our son, then get a good night's sleep and come back tomorrow morning just totally relaxed. And she would go, I'm sorry, what did you say? Oh, the, uh, the, the, the son thing and the sacrifice. Yeah, it's, yeah God, God, God told me to do it. It's cool. Oh, God told you to do it. Oh, why didn't you say so? Oh, if God told you to jump off a bridge, 
If God told you to circumcise yourself, oh, I guess you did that too, huh? Okay, so just whatever God tells you to do. And I have no interest in censoring this story. This is not my story. It's the Bible. But like, you don't think that was an awkward breakfast conversation between Abraham and Sarah. Loads up the donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them like, went on together, Isaac spoke up because he's a sharp cookie. I would have said the same thing. <laughs> Dad? Yes, my son. Uh, the, the fire and the wood are here, but like, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? You wanna talk about a father wound waiting to happen, right? Because Abraham's partially confident this is a test, but he's not positive. So in faith, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together, and when they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar there. So my blood pressure's up. Arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reaches out his hand and takes a knife to slay his son. But then the angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven, Abraham, oh, thank God, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there in the thicket in the thorns and he saw a ram caught by its horns. So he went over and took the ram and sacrificed the ram as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, catch this, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so once again, I, I just, I, honestly, I hate this story. And I'm not kidding. So quick context. Abraham was 100 years old when his son was born. More than that, God promised Abraham he would be the father of an entire nation and that it would all happen through his son. Isaac is Abraham and Sarah's absolute prize and treasure. They love this kid more than life itself. And God has the audacity and the nerve to tell a dad to take his son Isaac to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him on a mountain. And so we read this and we have the luxury of knowing ahead of time that this is a test, but Abraham doesn't know that. And that's why I hate this story because I'm a dad now. And I could tell you, test or no test, how about this? Give me an F, like I fail. If this is a challenge, well, from this challenge, I'm backing down. And I cannot be pressured into this. God, you can kill me if you want, but I, I am not killing 
my son. And I know that it sounds like I'm venting just publicly right now, but I'm actually very frustrated at God and really mad at Abraham as a dad. What, like who, who does this? He builds an altar. He ties up his son Isaac and gets his knife out. And we read that and we go, oh, what faith. And I'm like, like in what world? If you saw that happening today, your first thought's not, oh, what a man of God. What a well-behaved little boy. No, you, you, tack, you tackle the crazy guy and call Child Protective Services. If this is an honorable story about faith that I'm called to emulate, you guys, I'm sorry, just being real, but I'm out. I don't have that in me. And you know, people have left the church because of stories like this. And the reason, the reason is because we try and relate to the Bible, follow me. We try and relate to the Bible based on principles and performance rather than through a person. We try and relate to God based on principles and performance rather than through a person. I'm not sure if you caught it, but that's what we just did when we read Genesis 22. And when we do that, we make his kingdom about religion rather than relationship. And that's why kingdom culture centers around the king who chooses the culture of his kingdom. It's always only Jesus. Like when you, when you try to spell kingdom without king, it's just dumb. Oh, stop me, Ronnie. That, uh, cut the mic, that's bad. Okay, religion says... Follow me. Religion says, I have to do this. Religion says, I have to do this. So go, go, come on, Christian, go muster more faith like Abraham. Come on, church, try harder to pass all your tests. Are you excited? Are you ready? No. Do we have to? You do, yes. It's what Jesus would do, and it's what you should do too. So come on, let's go. Let's see more faith. No more rated R movies except The Passion of the Christ. No more cussing, no more gambling. Let's get you serving and tithing. And a lot of people out there, you guys, a lot of people out there want nothing to do with Jesus or his kingdom because they were given principles, but never a person. In other words, they tried religion, but they never tried Jesus. And this really is important to us because in Denver and Austin and Brussels, this is such a common testimony for people outside of our four walls. They tried religion, but they never tried Jesus. So let's go back to Genesis 22, because you know what Genesis 22 is really all about, right? Let me give you a hint. It's not about Abraham or having more faith. If it was, then it would have given us the five things Abraham did to have more faith. And all five of those things would have rhymed. Number one, Christian, it's time to readjust. Number two, shake off the dust. Number three, get rid of your lust. Number four, beware of moths and rust. And number five, try harder to trust because it's the mountaintop or bust. Sacrifice you, I gotta stop. I have to stop. 
My point, we were never given Abraham's battle plan because that would cause us to read that story and see Abraham as the hero of the story who mustered more faith and got it done. And you guys, he's not the hero of this story. This is not primarily about Abraham and it's not primarily about a principle called faith. It is about a person called Jesus. And once you start looking for him, I'm telling you everywhere throughout your Bible, you're going to start to see him. So let's go back to Genesis 22 and look for him. And just a fair warning, once you see what I'm about to show you, you will never be able to unsee this for the rest of your life. So catch this. Isaac was born a supernatural birth to Sarah, a 90-year-old woman. Jesus was born supernaturally to Mary, a 16-year-old virgin. Isaac is called a one and only son in Genesis 22 too. Jesus is called a one and only son in John 3.16. Isaac humbly submits to the will of his dad. Jesus humbly submits to the will of his dad. And check this out. Isaac sets out on a three-day journey to Moriah where the sacrifice will be made. And this reminds me of a different story of sacrifice that involved a different three-day journey that another son made to hell and back between the cross he died on and the empty tomb that he walked out of. Guys, catch this. Isaac carried the wood for his sacrifice up the mountain he'd be sacrificed on. Jesus carried a wooden cross on his back up a hill called Golgotha that he would be sacrificed on. When they got to the top, Abraham thought they would find a lamb, but rather God provided a ram in the thicket and the thorns. Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Abraham later that evening named that mountain, the Lord will provide. Not the Lord just provided. One day, the Lord will provide. And 42 generations after that evening, after that same region of Moriah would later come to be called Jerusalem. The Lord actually would provide the real lamb who would be, who would be sacrificed by crucifixion on one of those same hills as the ultimate perfect sacrifice, conquering death and defeating sin once and for all and opening the door to heaven's kingdom. You guys, it is always only ever Jesus. And so to come full circle and just finish the little therapy session I was having a few moments ago, if the story of God asking a dad to take his one and only son and sacrifices him and sacrifice him bothers you, if that shocks you and if that offends you, let me just, let me just say this. Good. It should, man. Let it bother you. Let it shock you. Let that story offend you. And then be all the more bothered, shocked, and offended that God actually had to do and went through with what Abraham did not. And then ask yourself this question. Can you believe, church? Can you believe God did that so Abraham would never have to? Can you believe God paid the ultimate price for my sin when he knew I'd never be able to do that on my own? 
Can you believe everything you have to do to get to God, Jesus has already done for you. In all the tests you've ever felt like you'll, you'll ever need to pass, Jesus has already passed. Come on, who needs some good news right now? Can you believe that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your mess ups and your defeated record. He sees his son, Jesus. He sees perfection and he sees completion despite the fact that you're still a work in progress. Can you believe that from the good week to the bad week, from the, from the relapse to the breakthrough, the good news stays the good news and God stays consistent. Can you believe that because of one final sacrifice, not only do we get heaven forever, but we get abundant life in the here and now. Can you believe this question right here? What do I have to do? Has been permanently removed from the vocabulary of kingdom culture because religion says I need to, but Jesus says I already did. Religion says do, Jesus says done. Red Rocks, we have always been and will always be a kingdom culture church that centers around a person named Jesus and what he did on that mountain 2,000 years ago. And from that, we will walk and talk with a heart posture that says, can you believe we now get to do this? The easiest way I can like, explain this practically is just to, to go into all the pastoral meetings I've ever been in and find the most common FAQs. And I know I'm like smiling. It's because I used to be the one asking all of these questions and now I'm sitting on the other side of the table because God's a comedian, right? So just to name a few here, like, hey, pastor, how far can I go with my girlfriend or boyfriend? What's the line, pastor? Just tell me what I can do and what I can't do. Pastor, like how much cash should I really, like what, what do I have to put in that, that basket? What should I, like what does God need me to really get, like just shoot straight with me. I know I'm supposed to forgive and let people off the hook, but like when is it cool just to, 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 to choke somebody out, right? <laughs> tell me exactly what I have to do and I'll do it. Tell me exactly what I can't do, and I will tiptoe as close to that line as I possibly can without going over it. And we've all asked those questions, but catch, like, I don't know if you caught this, the spirit of all of those questions, because they're logical, but they're religious. Religious questions about conforming to principles outside in, what do I have to do, rather than kingdom culture, which says you get to be transformed by a person from the inside out. This is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. And so religion would say, don't murder. And Jesus would say, well, yeah, okay, I, I agree, but I'd rather just set your heart free so you're not even angry in the first place. Religion says, don't have an affair, don't look at porn. Jesus would say, okay, yeah, absolutely, but I'd rather just, you, you have a free heart that's not consumed by lust in the first place. I'm talking about a better way to live, not religion, right? Religion says, come on, Christian, you better tithe. Jesus invites us into a life of generosity. And how many know that's a higher calling than just tithe because you should? Religion says for the rest of your life, you have to be a sober slave to your drug of choice. 
Jesus says, well, actually, real freedom can really feel like real freedom because real freedom is found in me. It's called abundant life. It's the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E, and it means life and life to the full. And our world right now is so desperate to see examples of Christians walking in that kind of freedom that is not based on a religion, but centered around a person. And so the question becomes, why does it seem like so few Christians live in that? And that's not me being a pessimist. That's Jesus in Matthew 7, 14. Small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life, zoe, abundant life, here and now. And only what? Only a few find it. Just so you know, a small gate does not refer to God grading you on a curve and you trying harder. It refers to Jesus being the only way to him. And if the gate is small and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then for as long as Red Rocks Church has a pulse and a heartbeat, our our front doors will unapologetically swing as wide as possible. Why? Because from the beggar to the king and from the famous to the faceless, everybody needs Jesus. And that's why, by the way, you can belong here even before you believe what we believe, that every race, every generation, every background or zip code, you can wear a tank top or a three-piece suit. God gave his son for whoever left the 99 for the one wants all of his kids saved, wants his house full. And so the gate might be small. The gate might be narrow, but Red Rocks, we can still get every single soul in Denver, Austin, and Brussels into one really long single file line. Amen. (laughs) Jesus is the way making heaven more crowded, and that's gonna happen in a few minutes. But first, let's talk really quick about the road that we're on right now. Because according to Jesus, it's narrow. But listen, it doesn't matter how narrow the road is if you have traction. I know this firsthand, because I just got brand new tires at a Labor Day sale at Discount Tire last month. And in case you're wondering, I got a heck of a deal. I almost feel bad, like the deal was that good. And because I'm a pastor who cares not just about your soul, but also your safety, just know with proper vehicle and tire maintenance, you can expect to get about 50 to 70,000 miles out of any given set of tires. So maybe just ask yourself, am I due? Am I due? And that's for free. I was last month. So I went to my local discount tire, they're our sponsors for the weekend, went up to the sales rep, and, he, and no joke, he comes out, looks at my tires, and he goes, he's Texas, he goes, son, these tires are balder than Andrew Matrone. Guys, I love you, good night, thank you. Andrew, I was so mad at him, as mad as you are now, I'm just, I'm just the messenger, man. He didn't say that, but he did say, son, these tires are balder than Kevin Malone. He didn't say that. That was just an extra office reference because it's so easy for me to do that, office references. He said, son, did you know it's bad luck 
to drive with bald tires, and I said, sir, I am not superstitious. I am a little stitious. Oh, that's Michael Scott quote number five. That's the last one. I want to give you a chance, Sean. That's the, I'm not going to do more. Number five. Okay, this is really what he said, okay? I promise. He comes out, he comes out to my car, sees the tires, and he's shocked. He's like, he's like son, these, these might be the worst tires I've ever seen. Like, you drove here in the rain without hydroplaning. I'm shocked. And then he looked at me and he said, let's get you some traction. Let's get you some traction. So when the road is narrow, follow me, when the road is narrow and religion is icy, churches need Jesus traction or else we slide from being a kingdom culture church to culture war Christianity. And we fit in with the rest of the world. Why? Because it's not principles that set us apart. It's a person. So let me explain this. A kingdom culture church starts and stays centered around Jesus. Culture war Christianity starts centered around Jesus, but almost always, always eventually allows an issue to hydroplane it until the gospel is just part of an agenda rather than the point. Kingdom culture churches know that regardless of how dark the world gets, that Jesus was telling the truth when he said, on this rock I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will be able to stop it. Culture war Christianity sees itself as always under attack from the government, from big bad secularism, Kingdom culture churches play with house money. They have everything to give and nothing to lose. Culture war Christianity is fueled by the fear of losing something, requires an enemy for sustainability, and ironically, it's usually people before it's the devil. Culture war Christians demand to be heard and are trying to win something. Kingdom culture Christians have all the validation they need and are playing an entirely different game all together. Culture war Christianity cancels the world. Kingdom culture churches center themselves around a king who canceled all sin, but not a single sinner. Culture war Christianity asks questions like, can you believe the world? Can you believe we have to... Kingdom culture Christians ask questions like, can you believe we get to do this? Can you believe we get to be alive in 2020? Can you believe God picked us for such a time as this? Can you believe that as the world gets darker, we get brighter? Can you believe that we get to build churches? Can you believe we get to be the goers and sharers of hope? Can you believe we get to be the storytellers of the gospel? Church, can you believe our kingdom will never be shaken? Can you believe my joy and my peace will never be taken? Can you believe we get to do this? And church, if that's our mindset, then our kingdom culture traction will take us on the narrow road right smack into the middle of the world, running into all the arenas everybody else is running out of, bringing hope 
engaging in politics, fighting for people, reconciling and restoring, but with the only thing that has ever eternally changed any person or anything, Jesus. He is our kingdom culture traction. And we need all of it we can get. All of us do all the time. That's why all we do in here is talk about Jesus. That's why every series at Red Rocks Church is just a different creative spin on preaching about Jesus. That's why we just show up and we, we sing to Jesus. We get in our cars and turn on some worship and we sing about Jesus and we get in groups and we talk about how amazing Jesus is. Like it should be painfully obvious what Red Rocks Church is all about. Jesus. Then the world will know Jesus through our kingdom culture. Amen. All right, let's do this. Let's stand because we're about to worship. I don't want to take any more time. I want to worship today. And I want us to worship with that mindset. Can you believe we get to do this? That kingdom culture church mindset that's not playing defense. You're not singing today playing defense from the enemy. You're singing today playing offense because your kingdom cannot and will not be shaken. I want us to sing and I want us to worship collectively with a victorious spirit that knows Jesus will reign forever and ever and ever. But I, I want to give anybody watching this really quick. And I wasn't even planning on this, so... I feel like there's a lot of you watching this right now. You've never given your heart to Jesus. Or maybe you just, you were sold principles and never given a person. And maybe you tried religion and you never actually tried God. I'm telling you, loving God will not be a problem when you know the real Jesus. You guys, he is so good. And if you feel something beckoning you, and stirring on your heart right now, I'm telling you, don't be tempted to believe it's just emotive. If you feel emotions, it's because your creator is stirring emotions in you to get your attention, to shift heavenward onto a God who wants a relationship with you and wants to take nothing from you. All this God wants to do is just give. That's all he wants to do. I'm telling you, this will be the greatest decision you've ever made in your entire life. I'm telling you, all the other stuff that keeps us from Jesus, like it's us being far too easily satisfied and pleased. I'm telling you, he has so much more in store for you. I'm telling you, not only can you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven forever one day, but that Zoe, Z-O-E, abundant life to the full could be yours right here and right now starting today. A call into a relationship away from a religion, not trying hard or not putting more weight on your shoulders everything that you feel like you'd ever have to do to get to this God, Jesus has already done. And all the ways you feel like you have to clean up your life, Jesus wants to do that for you. And all you have to do is simply put your faith in this Jesus. And from that point on, when God, the creator of everything, looks at you, he will see the perfection of his son, Jesus. And he will call you home. And one day you'll be with him forever in eternity. And I'm telling you, you have no idea what is waiting for you. 
on the other side of the last breath that you will take in this lifetime. I'm telling you, church, if we understood what was waiting for us, oh my gosh, the holy anticipation that we would walk in and live in and worship with right now, you guys, we have no idea. That's why the good news is the good news. And so I don't wanna waste any more time. If that's you at home, uh, just raise your hand right now. Hi, even if you're in a living room with other people, if you're in a car by yourself, I know there's a hand raise button on the platform you're watching right now. If you just wanna click that right now, just so we can get some resources to you. There's nothing magical about a hand raise. This isn't what saves you. Your faith that got you to raise your hand is what saves you. This just helps solidify on the outside something that just took place on the inside. I feel like there's still more right now. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you, he's beckoning you. Don't wait another minute. The gate is narrow. Jesus is the, the, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to God, but he's absolutely free right here and right now, and you can know today where you're going for the rest of forever, church. Raise your hand, click that button, make a decision in your heart. If this is you right now, can we make some noise in this room for everybody on the other side of the camera who just received Jesus Christ into their hearts? I really believe heaven just got a lot more crowded and I'm so proud of you and so excited for what's coming for you in regards to this life right now. And if any pastor or author ever tells you things might get easier, I'm telling you, run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. It doesn't necessarily mean things get easier or even better right away, but things get more rich and things get more full. And the echoes of the Eden in front of us that we sense, this heaven and this new earth that are stirring something within us and calling us forward, start to fill our lives in the here and now. The fruit of the Spirit that billionaires can't buy. Joy and peace and forgiveness and patience and kindness just filling you from the inside. It's free in Jesus. So as we worship, I just wanna remind you guys of this Jesus who did what Isaac never had to do. He was a baby born in a cave as a fugitive who went up against the strongest empire in the world. And Rome flexed its power by crucifixion. And Jesus relinquished his power by being crucified. And fast forward 2,000 years, Jesus' kingdom is a global blazing wildfire that cannot be stopped. And Rome is a tourist attraction for his followers. This is the Jesus that we're about to sing to. And he is king and he shall reign forever and ever. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega and everything in between. And Jesus, if the stars were made to worship, then we will too. Can you believe we get to worship too? And if the mountains bow in reverence, then we will too. And if the wind goes where you send it, and if oceans roar your praises, then we will too. Can you believe? believe we get to do this. God, we cannot believe we get to worship. We can't believe you picked us. We can't believe, Jesus, you did the unthinkable so we would never have to. 
We can't believe you call us and we were born on purpose for a purpose. We can't believe that we get to build your church. We can't believe you picked us for such a time as this to be your lighthouse to a dark world in 2020. And right now we worship and we praise you like we know there's purpose behind it, like we really believe that you are king. In Jesus' name, and somebody say amen. Red Rocks Church, let's stand and let's worship.